Today's reading from Hebrews 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those who, for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would make us useful We pray, Lord, that you would open us to your word. We pray, Lord, that you would, as the scriptures say, make us like living soil that receives the rain given to it from heaven, that is nourished by it, that we might grow, that we might be abundant in your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We're going to talk about growing today. We're going to talk about growing up and what it means to grow up and the difficulty, actually, of growing up as well. Now, I want to start... Um, I want to start by letting you know that my family does something religious every Sunday night. Well, in and of itself, it is not a religious activity. We watch a show religiously every Sunday night, and that show is America's Funniest Videos. Some of you probably didn't even know that that show was still on uh, because it started like in 1984 as like America's Funniest Home Videos. It's on like the third host, but we watch it religiously because we have a nine-year-old. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I actually find the show really funny. Um, and so I don't, I don't actually mind participating in this religious activity that we do every week. Can you, I'm, I'm like humming, I feel like I'm the voice of God over them. Can you, <laughs> which I am, of course, but I'm just saying, all right. There, there. And so the, this video that won a couple of weeks ago, there's this little boy, the mom like comes around the corner and is videotaping him. He's standing by the couch and he's got his arms by his side and he's got his fists clenched like this and he's going, he's making this face. And then and, and, and the, the mom says to him, what are you doing? And after like a couple, I'm trying to grow up. And, and she, she kind of like chuckles at him a little bit and then he like starts all over again doing this. Like, and then finally he says, I can't do it. Growing up is too hard. And she, she kind of laughs at him and says, you know, you can't grow up that way. And the truth is, the, the boy was on to something, right? Growing up is hard. We can't cause ourselves to grow taller. We can't cause ourselves to advance in years that way. But we can cause ourselves to grow toward maturity. And we can do things that lead to maturity or things that lead 
to immaturity. And the truth is, the things that lead to maturity growing up, it's hard work. It's hard work that involves a reprioritization of life. It's hard work that involves activity on our part that might not be the first thing that comes to our minds to do. And that's what, what we're talking about today. We're talking about committing to growth. And really, I, I can boil this entire sermon down to one phrase that I want you to remember. And it's something that's so simple that you already know it to be true. And it's this, living things grow. That's it. Living things grow. And we are alive in Jesus Christ. And so we are to grow because of that, because of who we are. We, are. we are to grow in faith. And in order for us to do that, it means that we commit ourselves to spiritual disciplines. And I'll share some of those in just a minute. But when we start thinking about growing up, the, the reason why we don't want to grow up is because it's easier to stick to the basics. It's easier not to live intentionally. It's easier to stick with the basic things of faith that we know and to say, you know what, those are just good enough. Like for those of us who raised in the church to say, to say, you know, I, I remember the Sunday school stories. I remember basically what the Bible says, and that's, that's good enough. And I know who Jesus is, right? I can sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and that's good enough. And, and I come to worship sometimes, and that's, that's good enough. And, and it is, right? It, it's good enough until, or it's good enough but... But what happens when, when the winds and waves of life come around us and come about us? What, what happens when the, the wind and rains of life threaten to, to overtake us and threaten to swamp us as the little plant that we are? What happens in that regard? What, what happens is if we haven't nourished the plant that is us, if we haven't grown in the faith, if we haven't done those things that are necessary, then the plant itself simply gets squashed. And we know this to be true because the scriptures even tell us this. They tell us it right here in, in Hebrews chapter 6, talking about those who have fallen away from the faith and the ways that they have fallen away and the reasons that they have fallen away, those who have tasted the promise but have since walked away because they weren't strong, because they weren't mature. And so the writer of the Hebrews wants a greater thing to happen, wants instead for this growth to take place inside of all of God's people so that they can endure the wind and they can endure the rains that come. Truth is, the process of, of a plant dying often happens slowly. And so is true with us. When we're about the easy things of life and we're following the path of least resistance, we're not doing those necessary disciplines that cause growth within us. Those things are easy, but that path leads to destruction. In, in fact, uh, I can illustrate this for you. I can use an example of somebody that all of you know, but you may not know his backstory. This man was so religious, uh, this man was so confident in his Roman Catholic religion, the exercise of his Roman Catholic faith, that he made those around him feel uncomfortable. And when he boarded a ship which would change his life, nobody wanted to room with him because they were afraid that his religiosity would cause him to be petulant toward them, that he would, he would pick on them for who they were. And so this group of people actually kind of began to belittle him for his faith and for the practice of his faith. And so he began to push his faith further and further away in subtle ways to not practice so that others wouldn't make fun of him, to not do those things which he had done at first. On the ship that would change his life, he roomed alone. The ship that would change his life was a ship called the HMS Beagle. Most of you know, even just from the name of the ship, who the guy was, it's a man named Charles Darwin. 
And Charles Darwin would write much later on in his diary, he would write in his journal, he would write about his faith that I didn't even realize that it was gone until I self-examined and found there was nothing there. See, that's what happens in that process of faith decay. That opposite of the spiritual disciplines that lead to growth in our lives, living things grow, and when they don't grow, they die. And the same is true of our faith. But, but I'm convinced of greater things for you and for me, greater things that God intends for each one of us to have. I'm convinced of it because the scriptures speak of it. They speak of what God wants us to be like as we grow and the ways that God wants us to grow. And we start to think about what it means for us to be alive in Jesus Christ and to want to grow. Uh, well, we have to look at this kind of example of gardening. And, and I'll confess to you that I am trespassing in the world of gardening because I am the world's worst gardener, right? Whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, that's me and I have two of them right? And I mean, some of you like look at a plant, like if you ever see the little like clearance section of plants, like at, at Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, and there's like one little green leaf on it. And some of you are like, oh, there's a green leaf. It's alive. Like I'll use that to be the shrubbery for my house. Like, and I look at that and go, someone's already started the process of killing it. I might as well just take it and put it out of its misery, <laughs> right? I'm great at growing weeds. And that's somewhat true of our spiritual life as well. Because a plant needs certain things. I mean, I understand the concept of it, right? It needs to have good roots that are, are surrounded by good soil that is nutrient-rich. They need to receive good water that will allow it to, to grow up, and it needs to have the sunshine so that it can do its process, so it can do all the things that it needs to do to grow. We are the same. The, the soil that is us needs to be tilled by a master gardener so that our roots are deep. We need to drink in the water of God's nourishing word to receive the nutrients that he has for us. We need to be shining in the light of Jesus Christ. This is true of each one of us. And what we know to be true is that even though we aren't great gardeners for ourselves, the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is the one who continues to till in each one of us so that we grow, so that we are nourished, so that we are constantly the living thing which is growing. Now, now understand that the Holy Spirit does this very often as the Holy Spirit does in very ordinary means. Right? We wish it was different. We wish it was like, like our cell phone or our devices that we plug in at night. Right? You put the little cord in, and then in the morning you wake up, and you're like, 100%, ready to go. And you wish we kind of like had one of those, like where you could just plug in. None of you guys have ever thought about this, have you? I, I, so these are the things that I think about. This is what makes me weird. Like what if, the, what if the Holy Spirit just like plug us in and then like in the morning I'm like, 100% faith, all right, let's go. But you see, the Holy Spirit uses ordinary means. And so I want to outline some of those ordinary means that the Holy Spirit uses. And I want to outline a bunch of different ones for you because we each have different personalities. And so some of these will appeal to some of you and not to others. And I'm also going to warn you because some of you are overachievers and you're going to hear these seven and you're going to say to yourself, you know what? These things start for me at noon today and I'm doing all seven of them. Well, well God bless you. And others of you are like, yeah, I'm not touching any of these. And I want to urge you to be somewhere in the middle. Just, just pick one. Just pick one of these to try this week to allow God, the master gardener, the Holy Spirit, to, to till the soil that is you, to cause your roots to grow deep so that you will know Jesus Christ because that's the purpose of these spiritual disciplines. 
all right? So I want you to think about one of these that fits well for you. I'm going to go through a list of them, all right? First one is worship. And the, the, the spiritual discipline that is worship, you know about this one. In fact, you know about it well because you're here. You, you've come today uh, not because the, the pastors are so dashing, <laughs> but because you knew that you would be fed through word and sacrament, because you understood what it meant to be together today with other believers. You understood that God would, break, would bring his grace to you in this place. You understand about worship and letting that carry over into your life. In fact, we've already had a whole sermon just about that. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that. That's the first one, worship. The second one is prayer. And of all the things that people ask me about as a pastor and the exercise of their faith, prayer is probably the first or the second thing that people ask me about. And I'm always surprised at how many Christians say to me, I, I don't know what to pray. And my response is, is always pretty simple. It's the same thing that I tell our confirmation students every year, because this isn't just for kids, it's for all ages. When you don't know what to pray, just start with the Lord's Prayer. Just start there and pray that prayer slowly and let God lead you through it. What does it mean to ask him for your daily bread? What does it mean to ask him to not lead you into temptation? What does it mean to ask him to enable you to forgive somebody else? Just let that be a guide for your prayers. But there are other ways as well. That's not the only way for you to be guided in your prayers. In fact, again, as Pastor Max said at the beginning of worship, this is Reformation weekend. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't at least have some quotes from Martin Luther in my sermon today, and so you won't be disappointed. Here's your Martin Luther portion of the program. Martin Luther wrote a small tract called A Simple Way to Pray, and he wrote it for his friend Peter, who happened to be his barber. And Peter had led a tough life and had gone through some difficult things, but wanted to recommit to his faith and wanted to grow in it. And so he asked, he asked Pastor Martin Luther if he could help him, and he wrote this little 12-page tract. I'm not going to read all 12 pages, don't worry, just a couple of quotes. But this is what he said to him. He said, first, when I feel that I've become cool and joyless in prayer because of the other tasks or thoughts, for the flesh and the devil always impede and obstruct prayer, I take my little Psalter, which is just a little personal book that has the Psalms all written in it and a few other things. I take my, my personal Psalter and I hurry to my room, or if it be the day or the hour for it, to the church where the congregation is assembled. And as time permits, I say quietly to myself and word for word, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and if I have time, some words of Christ or of Paul or some Psalms, just as a little child would do. It's a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last business of the night. Guard yourself carefully against those false, deluding ideas which tell you, wait a little while, I'll pray in an hour. First I must attend to this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer into other affairs which so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer for that day. That, that's some pretty good advice. And again, when you think of how to pray, it's, it's not a bad pattern. You might say, well, I don't have time to say word for word all of the Ten Commandments in the Creed and to read a little from Paul and a little from Christ and then to read a couple of Psalms. But maybe just pick one part of that and allow that to be something that instructs your prayer. But above all, worry less about how to pray and more about the activity that is prayer. You see, prayer itself is remarkable. The, the almighty God of the universe wants to hear your voice and is inviting you to have a conversation with him, is inviting you to speak to him and share whatever's on your heart and mind. And through that, God the Holy Spirit causes growth in you. That's the second one. Worship, 
prayer. The third one is the other thing that people ask me about. It's Bible study. And, and people are often well-intentioned, and they, and they say, well, where should I start? After all, the Bible is a big book. Well, here's a good measure. One thing that my mom, my mom taught me when I was a kid. If you open up your Bible to halfway, you know where you end up? Right in the Psalms. Not a bad place to start. To just read a psalm a day. Read one each day and read it slowly. Read it a couple of times. Read it a couple of times during the day. And allow it to be the lens and the framework with which you see your day. And maybe you say, well, the Psalms, that's not the place I really want to start. Start with something familiar. Start with something like the Gospel of Luke. When you start with the Gospel of Luke, you know what you get right up front? Christmas. Yeah, by the way, two months, if you're wondering how much shopping time you have left. Two months. You start with Christmas. But allow it to be something that God nourishes you through. Allow it to be something that God uses to continue to shape you and to give you the blessing of hearing his word each day. That's the third one, Bible study. Now, those three might seem very obvious to you. I bet the next three are going to seem a little less obvious. And again, we each have different personalities. This next one will appeal to some of you and not to others, and it's this, solitude. Solitude. Many of us are with people all day. In fact, we're very seldom alone. And so there are lots of voices that we're hearing all day long. And God is inviting you to spend a little bit of time just alone with him. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark to his disciples, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And that invitation still stands. And now to some of you, you're like, yeah, that's a waste of time. And for others, you're like, yeah, that I, I would never ever spend time doing that. And for those of you who have small children, it seems impossible. But nevertheless, it is an invitation from God to have some quiet time alone with him. The next one is confession. Confession of your sins to allow this to become something that you do on a daily basis, to be something that you do frequently. And you say, well, how is this something that's going to cause me to grow, focusing on my own faults? Confession will always teach you two things. One is that you're a sinful human being. And two is that God is amazing and gracious. That as you confess your sins before God and you acknowledge those ways in your life that you don't measure up, what you're also doing is going to a God who loves you so much that he and he alone would remove those sins from you. What you're doing in your confession is you're acknowledging how amazing your God is and you're allowing him to unburden you from your sin and to live freely as his child. In fact, Martin Luther famously said, when I urge you to go to confession, I'm merely urging you to be a Christian, to experience that gift of God that is confession. That is forgiveness from Jesus Christ alone. Next one is celebration and adoration. Celebration and adoration. Now, if I had a nickel for every time that somebody said to me, man, our American society is so positive and so affirming. I mean, when I go online and I read the things that people post, I feel so uplifted and encouraged. When I turn on the news, I, I just glow. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said one of those things to me, I wouldn't even have a nickel. And you know it to be true because you live here too. You know the antidote to that? Focusing on God. Spending some time each day, each week, simply celebrating who God is 
and celebrating and adoring God for who he is and saying, God, you are amazing because of what you have done for us, because of the way that you love us, because of the way that you care for us. And I promise you that if you spend time each day celebrating and adoring God for who he is, it will absolutely change your life because you will realize how much this God loves you and how much this God loves this broken world. Enough that he would send his son Jesus for us. The celebration and adoration. The last one is another one that we had a sermon series about service. It's the one that's applauded in Hebrews chapter 6 in this text. To spend each day in love for somebody else, caring for them as one who is sent by Jesus Christ. When you do these things, when these things, these seven disciplines, and there are others as well, when you do these seven disciplines, when you do one of these seven disciplines, you're allowing God the Holy Spirit to use these as means to transform you. You're allowing God the Holy Spirit to use these to nurture who you are, to be the master gardener that tills the soil that is you. To be one who confesses that living things grow and you are alive in Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm also going to lift the lid on this for you this morning. And I'll acknowledge to you the reason why we don't do these things. It's because they're hard. It's because at times reading the Bible and praying every day, it can get monotonous and it can seem boring. And when we do that, then when we stop, it all of a sudden becomes accusatory. Right? If you say to yourself, I've read the Bible for a long time, maybe you've even done a plan like this, where you check the box each day and then you miss a day, Right? You miss a day and you're like, that Bible just sprouted eyes and it's watching me. Right? I can't get away from it. It's always, it's accusing me and it turns into like an Edgar Allan Poe tale. Right? And you know what? Not even Martin Luther was immune to this. In fact, the way he started off that tract, A Simple Way to Pray, it started off this way. I will tell you as best I can what I do personally when I pray. May our dear Lord grant to you and to everybody else to do it better than I do. Amen. That's what he wrote. Because it's a struggle that we all endure. The struggle of, of sticking to it. And so that's why it's important for us to focus on why we do this. To focus on why we do these things and why we want to continue to grow spiritually. It's not focusing on the process and on the amount of the Bible that I haven't read yet. It's instead realizing that we want to continue to grow because as we grow, we develop deeper roots in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we are more and more aware of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That this is what God is tilling in us. This is what God the Holy Spirit wants us to do is to abide in the love of Jesus Christ so that the wind and the rains of life come. They don't beat us down and knock us over, but instead even enable us to grow stronger still. See, that's what God the Holy Spirit wants to do in uniting you with Jesus Christ in developing a deeper relationship with him through these spiritual disciplines. And the best way that I can illustrate this is by thinking of a, of a healthy elderly marriage. Now, I knew a lot of couples like this when I, when I had the privilege of serving in Arizona. Great examples. In fact, there was one couple, and I speak of them pretty frequently. I use them every time I do premarital counseling with couples because they're ones that I think we should pattern our marriage after. They would come to worship. They'd walk up to worship. They'd always be holding hands. They'd get to the back door of the church. They'd give each other a kiss. She'd go sing in the choir. He'd go usher. They were both in their late 80s. 
And when worship was done, they would come together again, and they'd go out to the place where we had fellowship, which was outside because it was Arizona. And they'd stand there like with coffee and donuts, and she'd stand there with her hand in his back pocket. Upper 80s. Married 60 plus years. And Kate and I used to say to each other, like, I want our marriage to be like that when we're in our 80s. And if you asked them what the secret was of their success, they wouldn't say there's a pill you can swallow to make it happen. They would always say, maybe just work at it. We think it's worth it. Why is that the picture for us? It's because the scriptures tell us that you and I, we are the bride of Christ. We are Christ's bride that he loves so dearly that he wants to know us completely, that he wants to be with us through all seasons of life, and that he wants us always to never doubt, but to always know his great love. And so that's why we do the things we do. That's why we exercise these spiritual disciplines. That's why we allow God the Holy Spirit to be the gardener at work in us. That's why we cling to this phrase, living things grow, and we are alive in Jesus Christ. And so one last thing for you. Don't go it alone. You see, God calls us into community for a reason. And as we are a part of the church together, we have different opportunities to grow in this together, to walk and encourage one another, not to accuse, but to surround each other in love. And so as you watch this video, I want to encourage you to to think of this example from Liz Emmy and to think of the ways that God will continue to grow you through it. May the Lord be glorified in it in the name of Jesus.